millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The entertainment and hospitality industries are left in confusion as the government announces the next phase of the reopening plan, while also reminding us that the pandemic isn't over yet. Unfortunately, we're going to have to get through at least another winter before we can safely say that it's behind us. Uh, So we're not where we hope to be, uh, or expected to be for October 22nd. Ishak Nihal Martin reveals plans for the extended use of antigen testing, but with Ireland well behind the curve on adopting the technology, have we missed a valuable opportunity? And later, wedding planner Tara Faye on the removal of the cap on numbers for weddings and whether or not couples can now plan in confidence. Get in touch on Twitter on our hashtag TonightVMTV. Martin reveals plans for the extended use of antigen testing. But with Ireland behind the curve and adopting the technology, have we uh, missed a valuable opportunity there? Uh, Well, we're going to look first at the reopening plans and what's happening with that tonight. And I'm joined first on our panel by People Before Profit TD, Richard Boyd Barrett, Minister of State for Special Education and Inclusion, Josepha Madigan, and Chief Executive of the Vintners Federation of Ireland, Porter Crimmon. And Porter, I want to come to you first. This was to be a landmark day, the announcement around the reopening, uh, full reopening of society, the removal of the final restrictions, if you like. But we don't have that reopening as envisaged. What do you make of the measures and the decision that was announced by government today? Well, Claire, uh, we've had a lot of grey days and black days, and today is not a good day for the sector. You mentioned in your intro that there was a lot of confusion. I'd add two words to that. I'd add consternation and annoyance. Uh, There is consternation because it's very much a question of, here we go again. We've been here four or five times, brought right up uh, to the precipice and been left behind. It now looks like as if we're talking about five months. uh, And, you know... People, there are people out there who have plans in place for this weekend. They have people employed. They have security employed. And that's all going to go to waste. Confusion. There is absolute confusion uh, in terms of we are now within 50 hours of nightclubs reopening. There is no guidelines. There is not even a meeting set up to discuss how those those places will open. And in terms of confusion, uh, you know, when we look at it, what we have in this country, and it's good to see nightclubs open. We welcome that uh, because, and indeed many of our members are nightclub owners, but there is no such thing in this country as a nightclub. So what there is, is actually a, a publican's license and you get an exemption to work late. So you could have the ridiculous situation where at half past 12 on next Saturday night, you will have somebody who will be running a pub and five minutes later it becomes a nightclub. 
So you, you're, you're, sitting, you're sitting there. Yeah. We don't know what the difference is going the to be. No, but the difference as announced today is that if you're in a pub, you can't go to the bar. But Correct. if you're in a nightclub, Correct. you can. It's absolutely crazy. And if I add the third element, which is annoyance, and there's real annoyance here because we haven't addressed the problem. And the problem now is very clear. It's the level of hospitalisation and the level of people in ICU. And we were told that vaccination would sort it out. So the real problem is we have, we're concentrating on the 92% that are vaccinated. We're not concentrating on the 8% that okay. are tur turning their nose up at vaccination. And effectively what we have is, we have an 8% tail wagging a 92% well, we well, there are the COVID down. certs, because that's, that's but, what's but, being but announced, the 8 that everyone that are not needs to be vaccinated to get in. But the 8% that are not vaccinated are the reason why they're, the hospitalisation is high and it is the reason why we're, okay. society is not returning okay. to normal. And we will, we will get on to that, but I want to go to you, Josepha Madigan, first on this. And the big, that confusion, the anomalies and the inconsistencies that we heard today when we were hoping to get clarity from government. You can't get served at a bar in a pub, but you can dance in a nightclub. And when is a pub not a nightclub? And when is a night at a club, not a gig, where you have to be seated. Like, there's so much confusion for the sector, isn't there? Yeah, well, first of all, I think it's important to say that, you know, there's been such unpredictability because of COVID-19. Um, Enfit literally only gave their letter yesterday to government. Um, the CMO met with the leaders last night and then Cabinet obviously decided the loosening of restrictions today. I think we have to bear in mind, you know, we, when we think of this day last year, we were actually entering level five um, and a five <coughs> kilometre rule. So a year on, we are actually loosening the restrictions. I accept it's been really difficult for the hospitality sector over the last 18 months, but we are incrementally getting there. It's really important now to me um, and to those in government, and obviously for the sector itself, that the line ministers engage now intensively with, uh, with, with the sector and the partners uh, and make sure that any of these inconsistencies or, you know, that, that there aren't out effectively, because we have well, to have cohesion. But in, but, but in fairness, it was only announced today and there are three today, days. But we were talking because, about this last week no, and the week the before CMO, when we saw those numbers but surging en about what wait, happen. Well, Enfit, with respect, wait for the, the latest data. You know, And once they have the latest data, they leave it as far as they possibly can. So there was no so talk there has over been, the weekend there that has this been, was going to well, happen Well, there is an today. awful lot of, of groundwork that's been done you know, uh, over, over the last 18 months in, behind the scenes. And I think that will help in terms of trying to make sure that all of these little inconsistencies are worked out because they are important that there is, um, that there are our supports there for the sector and that we get, you know, that we get back to where, to normal living. But, you know, as the Tonish just said there in that intro, it is going to be another winter before we get through this properly. And um, there are, like the good thing about the pubs is that they will go back to normal, you know, trading hours. They can now have 10 at a table or 15 if there's children, you know, so it's not exactly where we want to be. But this time next year, we shouldn't even be talking about this. You know, I remember, you know, the, the COVID certs came out in July and there was a lot of consternation around indoor and outdoor. Um, you know, it, it is difficult for people to accept and I know that insecurity is really difficult but we will get there. Okay, um, do you accept what Josepha is saying that it's difficult, it's not ideal, the Thornish has said today Richard that you know he didn't want this to be October 22nd looking as it is today but essentially clarity would be full reopening or staying shut and neither of those would have been the right option. Yeah, I, I think neither of those would have been the right option. I, I think, first of all, people in music, entertainment, 
hospitality have suffered more than most and their expectations were that there would be a, a, an easing of restrictions and some possibility for them at least to show that they were capable of operating in a safe way. So I think some sort of reopening had to go ahead. Uh, I think that the, you know, the thought of going back after we have such a high level of take-up of the vaccination, uh, you know, all of that that people have gone through would have led people to expect some lifting of the restrictions. But I think uh, people are right to be frustrated at the lack of consistency. Uh, I mean, I was just talking to somebody who is a bar worker today and they just couldn't understand the lack of consistency between nightclubs uh, and bars. So I think it, it does seem pretty incredible that some of these details weren't worked out in the engagement with the relevant sectors, which certainly talking to people in the music industry, because I've been shouting aloud a lot for them, who've suffered a lot over the during the pandemic, that they were very willing to engage with the government and government departments to discuss how things could be done safely. But I think the other side of the equation, and I think this is important, is that our ability to open, given the sort of unpredictability, the still the, the worryingly high levels of circulation of the virus, is have we got a, the capacity in the health system to deal uh, with uh, surges in cases? And to be honest, the government have failed, in my opinion. Uh, the ICU levels were chronically low going into COVID. They've increased a bit, but not nearly enough. Uh, uh, public health teams and the ability to contact trace and test at the level that we need to and the issue of antigen testing and the potential it may have for screening populations which could help us uh, identify... But, but the, the, fair point, Josefa. I mean, the reason that we can't fully reopen or we have these remaining restrictions in place is that our health system can't cope with a surge. Yeah, I mean, in terms of ICU, we have, I heard Minister Donnelly being interviewed earlier on and he's increased the beds uh, by, by 26 to 27% over the last year. Um, so there's an extra 66 uh, ICU beds. But he did say in his interview that it was coming from a very low base, you know, and was underfunded over many years. Um, and, you know, this was, this was, I suppose, one of the reasons why Enfys gave the advice that they did. It's with the backdrop of, you know, critical... Um, and a health, a cr a health system, a health system Where we had 400 and whatever, 74... Um, you know, in, in, in hospital um, and whatever, 78 in, in, in ICU, you know, and, and the problem is, is that if, if we had not actually uh, loosened the restrictions and actually went completely open, then you're talking about a thousand in hospital by the end of November. And, and that was just a doomsday prediction. Um, so I, I think it was a really tricky, uh, tricky sort of balance for cabinet to make this decision. Uh, on balance, I think if you're Sort of looking at it from a reasonable perspective, from a proportionality perspective, um, I think they, I think they have done that. I, I want to go to Skype, um, where DJ and campaigner with Give Us the Night, Neil Sharp is standing by. Thanks for joining us tonight, Neil. Um, a big day for the industry. You were hoping to hear um, about that full reopening, um, and Friday is the day that you will um, welcome people back into clubs. What are your your thoughts on the decision by government? Um, well, first of all, I think we, we spoke about this last time just in terms of the August 31st announcements. And it did appear at that time that the government were very short on detail. They made what was a positively received announcement at the time. But we definitely quer queried many parts of us. Like I said, there wasn't enough detail. There didn't seem to be... Uh, there, there was no kind... <laughs> First of all, we're the mo we've, we've had the most restrictions in place out of any country in Europe that I know of. And for the government to then remove all restrictions on this date 
um, seven weeks into the future. Just uh, we found it hard to buy into that. But, you know, we are where we are now. We need to just move ahead with it. We would prefer the phase reopening. The last time I spoke to you here, I spoke in great detail about that, how we feel that would have been the, the more sensible way. It would have built more confidence within the industry. It would have made the public more confident. It would have made the government more confident. Instead, we have this last minute scramble. But, you know, I think everyone's trying their best at this point. There's a lot of um, government officials now who are who are probably working late into the evening tonight to get these guidelines ready, you know. So we just all have to be positive now and make sure we, we can get this over the line um, okay. ASAP. OK, thanks for that, Sunil. Um, so positive from, from people in the nightclub industry that at least this is finally, after 19 months, happening for them poor Cribben. Um, because of this confusion, though, do you think it's likely that pubs are just going to set their own rules? Well, uh, that's not what we want to see. What we really need now is engagement. Because, uh, as Sunil said, you're going to have a scenario where you have officials uh, pu putting guidelines together. Officials, with all due respects to them, don't know how the sector works. They don't know how any sector works, and that's not a negative reflection know. on them. They do know about the COVID numbers and the fear they no, have. And, and I don't have a problem with that, but in terms of putting, numbers in our hospitals in terms of putting to guidelines together, they need to engage with the sector because we understand and know the intricacies of, of, of how the sector works. We understand the intricacies of the licensing area, all of which, ha which has to be taken into account before. And bear in mind, we've two working days left. We've two working days left. So okay. we've, we're, we're really up against so the clock here. Do you here. want to see tomorrow now, when, you're, when you are engaging and you hope to engage with officials on this, that um, you know, patrons in a bar can go, can go and order from a bar and that you have the same guidelines in the place single that you'll see the, in nightclubs? Do you want to see a change to what's Yes, the single biggest today? issue we have is the use of the bar counter. And that, that is, it's for a number of reasons. Number one, it's, it's intrinsic to the, to the hospitality sector, but it's also very key in small rural pubs that that's where the action happens and they don't have the space without that. Okay. So in actual fact, that's the key of what we want to see, that together with the social distance. So, so that's where the action yeah, happens, I, says Porrick. Do you think in a way like this announcement today without knowing essentially how, how these guidelines are going to play out, that there was sort of no point in it? Because there's, there's, there's just confusion rather than clarity know, for, I, for everyone involved. I, 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 I don't think there's confusion. I think, you know, it's, it's, well, they I could suppose, it's always a Friday. surprise to everybody once new restrictions are announced. Um, it takes everybody's by surprise. Um, you know, having said that, I think all of the line ministers, as I said, will be engaging over the next few days. I think it's important as well that the HSA, um, who are responsible for COVID certs and the, the compliance in relation to COVID certs, that they up their, their inspections as well to ensure that, you know, that there is compliance as much as possible. Um, I heard Micheál Martin earlier on being interviewed and he said he wouldn't go into a premises if he wasn't asked for a COVID digital certificate. So I think, think that is important. Um, we've also helped the hospitality sector by, you know, ex extending the 9% fat rate as well and also the employment wage subsidy scheme which I hope will be of okay. assistance to um, them too. Just on that enforcement issue Richard were you surprised to see that um, according to research carried out by the Department of Health I think it was a third of people aren't being checked for COVID certs this is part of the problem maybe? Well, certainly, I think we need the HSA. Uh, we need the HSA to be doing more inspections. 
Uh, I also think, by the way, something we haven't mentioned, but the issue of ventilation is in incre incredibly important. We have no ventilation legislation at all. We actually put a bill forward in the Dáil recently to have regulations around ventilation. Uh, and we need, you know, we need guidelines about CO2 levels, monitors being made available, supports, and working with these sectors in, in order to ensure that everybody is clear in what's, uh, in what's necessary. Uh, and I also think we need to listen to the workers in these industries, because it's terribly important why, while people want and expect some move back towards normality, we also need to make sure that workers feel safe and that they are happy that the working environment that they're working in is one where they feel safe. OK. Uh, Pork, you said at the start there, you're saying there's a lot of focus on the vast majority of people who are, who are vaccinated, but not enough focus on that 8% or so who aren't. Correct. But then you look at this research that showed that a third of people going into premises, you know, going into mm. pubs and bars, aren't actually being checked for their COVID certs. Two, so two, isn't that part of the issue? OK, two things I would say. We, we have been very clear all along that the public health advice and guidelines should be followed. We actually put pressure on government last year to give Gardaí additional powers to make sure that everything was properly regulated. Uh, and, and we have... You know, everybody has got to comply here. Yeah, what the about publican, your members? The publican, the public and the regulatory authorities. Mm. They, have got, they have got to comply. But to go back to the, the emphasis on the 93%, we would not be sitting here tonight. Now, Josefa and, and, and Richard might be, but they'd be talking about something different. If we, if, we, if we didn't have the issues in the hospital, and the issues in the hospitals well, are being driven, two-thirds... Two-thirds of those in ICU yeah, are non-vaccinated. Now, would you suggest... And, and the same in hospitalisation. Yeah. We wouldn't have the issue. Yeah. We would, we would be that, back that, to normal. I think that's part of the problem, and, uh, but also the fact that there are about 370,000 people who aren't vaccinated. They're the um, people I'm and, talking about. Well, you, I thought you were talking about hospitals, but, I mean, 67% of people in ICU are, aren't vaccinated. That's the point yeah. I'm making. And there's a difficulty. And, you know, it, it, you know, you can't mandate somebody to get vaccinated. Like, you, you know, really bodily integrity... More, you're always is, going to have about is a constitutional Right, who are not going to get vaccinated. But I think well, they're, they're not going to all toe the line and get vaccinated. Yeah, there's also and you'll have that issue. Yeah, there's also a cohort who, who have had a first dose who don't go up to, to take a second dose. And all we can try to do in government is encourage them. I mean, it's good to see that NIAC now is going to give boosters to over 60s. Um, I imagine that'll go further down the line. But you know, we can't. It's 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 a right to bodily integrity. You can't mandate somebody, you know, to, to it, or force them to get a vaccine. But was, we do encourage them to do so. It was a big subject when um, you know hotel when restaurants reopening back in the summer that you needed the and pubs when, that you needed the vaccine pass in order to go so what do you think about I, this I idea that everyone should be vaccinated i don't think compulsion uh, for vaccination is the right way to go i mean i am a strong strong advocate of the vaccination campaign and even at this stage i would strongly encourage people who have not been vaccinated to get vaccinated there is no doubt that it lessens the amount of fatalities the amount of serious illness it protects the community uh, and yourself so i would encourage people to do it but i think it is <clears throat> counterproductive to try and enforce it and uh, what about what's being rolled out that you you, you you need to be vaccinated in in order to enjoy life these days yeah, and I think that's, to be honest, problematic. And I know in some countries, they've also given people the option of antigen testing and PCR testing to access if you don't have a COVID uh, 
digital cert, and I certainly think we should look at those things. But I also want to add, it's, you know, while we need to encourage the greater take, take up of vaccination, there are other things, and some of them were revealed in the schools this week, where uh, school communities uh, had to essentially go further than public health were okay. telling them to do in terms of contact tracing of kids okay. where there were infections in school. So we need to have a, a much a thorough contact tracing regime. We need to have testing okay. on a widespread basis in schools yeah. as well. And we will, we will get into that a little bit more um, after the break. My thanks to Paura Cribben and Sunil Sharp who joined us via Skype tonight. And Richard Boyd Barrett and Josefa Madigan will be staying with us. And coming up after the break, enhanced role for antigen testing has been announced but does it go far enough? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. Now, Nevitt has, from the outset, cast doubt over the merit and reliability of antigen testing, with Professor Philip Nolan going so far as to liken it to snake oil earlier this year. But today, over a year and a half into the pandemic, the government has announced that it will play a greater role in the future. Well, People Before Profit TD Richard Boy Barrett and Minister of State for Special Education and Inclusion Josepha Madigan are still with us and joining the panel is business columnist for the Irish Times, Mark Paul. Uh, but first, earlier I spoke to Euronews Europe correspondent Shona Murray and asked her how antigen testing is used elsewhere in Europe and if it's been successful there. Well, they were very prevalent um, a few months ago when people were starting to be vaccinated, but let's say younger people hadn't been vaccinated. So you're talking July, August, September, when member states were reopening because let's say the most vulnerable and the elderly had been vaccinated, but young people hadn't. So they did a lot of test cases, a lot of pilot programs to allow young people go to festivals and nightclubs and they used antigen testing there. And so that was successful. And now you have, for example, here in Belgium and all across Europe, nightclubs and bars opened uh, because they did those uh, pilot programs. And the way it works works here is that you do your antigen test, you go to a pharmacy, um, it's done professionally therefore, and within about 15 minutes you get your result. You get a QR code that's sent to your app, your Belgian um, app, your COVID app, and then that gives you um, the result. So that means you can still use it if you're, let's 
say, perhaps unvaccinated. Or let's say if you want to travel from Belgium to other countries outside the EU, like the UK, for example, you have to have an antigen test in the last 48 hours. In addition to that, they're very much used for people who are concerned about COVID symptoms who may be vaccinated. But as we know, there are uh, breakthrough cases so they can just get a test and then they'll know if they are obviously um, COVID positive and stay out of work. These are people with symptoms. And so that's why they're, how they're pretty much used now at the moment. And are they mostly free of charge in many countries? Are they offered by, you know, government to, uh, you know, encourage people to take these tests to check if, if they're infectious? So um, you pay for maybe 20, 25 euro for an antigen test and then you can get it back off your state health insurance. Um, but very much so, PCR tests are still prevalent too uh, for people who are symptomatic or um, in both cases, close contacts. That's how people use antigen tests and they eventually end up being free. But at the moment you pay in a pharmacy. But uh, we know that the EU did actually uh, announce 100 million euro uh, support for antigen tests for member states to make them as cheap as possible. Uh, Ireland didn't avail of that because obviously he wasn't using antigen testing, but also to increase um, uh, how, how good they were, because as we know, there was sort of varying degrees of uh, reliability. As you know, we've seen a surge of cases here in Ireland. What's the picture when it comes to um, the rise in COVID cases right across Europe, Shona? Yeah, so it is, it is on the rise and that's, it obviously coincides with how Europe has opened up um, so much more than Ireland. For, again, here in Brussels, about three weeks ago, there was a full reopening of everything, nightclubs. And there's a very strong, let's say, nightclub industry here in Belgium. Nightclubs are open to eight o'clock in the morning and same in, as we know in Germany and all across Europe. And with that, we've seen um, quite a strong rise in cases. So here in Belgium, um, about a week ago, there was about 2,000 cases a day. A week later, it's over 3,000. So it's exponential. And at the same time, there is a rise in deaths and hospitalizations, but it's not uh, as we've heard from virologists, state virologists and so on, something to panic about. That's the, the, the language they're using because it isn't having the impact on the healthcare system as it did, uh, you know, last year. Uh, so, mm. so that's why they're not panicking. There's no, let's say, discussion around closing down anything at this point, although I know that the, 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 the government committee is meeting on the 29th of October to discuss if any measures need to be put in place to combat this latest surge, because there is... For sure, a surge. Okay, Shona Murray, um, Europe correspondent with Euronews. Thank you so much for joining us tonight with that. Well, that is the view from Europe. Uh, Mark Paul, antigen testing, we, we hear there how it's in widespread use across Europe uh, to good success. Finally, we got an announcement on it today. Should this have been given a role a long time ago? I, I think it's one of the great frustrations um, that you pick up from talking to businesses, the fact that it wasn't used or, or widely deployed so long ago. I mean, businesses have been calling loudly for the use of antigen testing for months and months and months. I mean, IBEC called for it, the publicans groups called for it, uh, restaurateurs, hoteliers, they all called for it. And I think at the end of the pandemic, when everything is said and done <clears throat> and when restrictions are removed and when um, subsidies are removed, the government will have to ask itself, did it do everything possible through the pandemic to facilitate commerce, to keep jobs and um, to keep people in employment? And on the issue of antigen testing, I don't think it can say that it did. There's no doubt. I mean, from, from Shona's report there, it's obvious. There's no doubt that Ireland has been an outlier throughout Europe on the use of antigen testing. And, and, and the government really needs to ask itself, why did that happen? And, and, and why have they changed tack now? And why didn't they listen to people? 
people months ago when they were calling for them to be introduced to allow people. They're not necessarily a great tool for screening for, um, for getting into nightclubs. I mean, we, there, there was a, a trial in, in the Netherlands where they actually abandoned it for the use of nightclubs. Mm -hmm. So it's not a panacea for everything. But it was a tool that was there in the armory waiting to be used, and Ireland all the way through chose not to deploy it. Yeah. Josepha, why is it today when we have 2,399 um, positive cases that we are introducing antigen testing? Um, this is the first time actually that Enfit have actually addressed uh, the question of, of antigen testing. They were more sceptical prior to this. Um, and to me, uh, I agree with Mark when he says that it's not a panacea. Um, you know, it's not a silver bullet. It, it, it does have a role to play, I think. Um, and, you know, the fact now that, you know, asymptomatic close contacts are going to be sent, or vaccinated asymptomatic close contacts are going to be sent in antigen testing kit, I think is a good idea. Um, it'll certainly help as well as the PCR test um, and I know that there's a working group in the HSE as well. They've done pilots. Antigen testing has been happening in, in some areas, like in, in um, the higher education sector um, and in childcare as well. And those pilots, I think, will be evaluated and they will dictate the, you know, the other areas where they, it may be expanded. So the way it's going to work, as, as has been announced today, is that close contacts of confirmed cases will get an antigen test sent in the post. Yeah, vaccinated. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, well. There's also the 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 expert advisory group on antigen testing, um, and what they are doing is they're going to make recommendations over the next few weeks as to where they think antigen testing should be should be looked at as well. So, the chair, what about the, the the expert panel that was in front of the Oireachtas during the summer? who advised very clearly, and this was a group that was set up by government, saying, yeah. go well, away, see, do your research, come back and tell us if you think antigen testing is yeah. a good thing. But, but, you know, they the, came back and they said, yes, it is. Yeah. The chief scientific advisor said, yes, but, it's a good thing but, and should be introduced. But the difficulty is, Claire, is that, you know, and I, I do understand Neffet's reticence in relation to antigen testing, because that's not always completely reliable. And that's why I'm saying it is, Isn't it, it it is, an, nothing, addi it is an additional tool. Um, well, I think it, it's, it's, it's very useful if somebody gets a positive test um, when they have an antigen test you know that, that therefore there that there's something they need to be concerned about um, but you know we, we have to look at it in terms of other areas as well even the Department of Education they always take their advice from public health so if Enfit weren't advising it it was going to be something that was going to take a longer period of time but it is important to emphasize it is being done in some sectors already. You would wonder are schools homes? a good place to, for, to see antigen testing and to use it? I certainly would have thought so. And uh, I mean, you know, I'm not the expert in this, but from what I understand is that antigen testing, where it can be particularly useful is, although it's not quite as accurate as PCR, for screening particular populations. Uh, and, you know, at least identifying the cases where people are infectious and where there's a high viral load, which is, it's not as sensitive as the, as the PCR, but it has the capacity uh, to screen out a lot of the cases that could actually be resulting in onward transmission. Um, so but, I don't really understand it. And I remember, I mean, just, two years just ago... Just say on that, 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 that Enfit actually did ask HICWA to look at it in terms of education settings, uh, antigen testing. And, and, and they, a lot of workplaces, Yeah, and, and they actually came back with a report, I think it was around the 20th of yeah. September, to say that there was uncertainty uh, over know, the effectiveness we, we uh, for screening. And it, 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 just what? to finish, on asymptomatic people. So that and the pilots will be taken into account when you're looking at schools. Yeah, actually, it's place in special education is another one because that's, that's your area. That is um, my area, yeah. 
and uh, would you see that it could be used in that area? I mean, really what we want to see is children staying in school, yeah, um, I mean, their education the, being protected. Ab and this is an important way of doing that. Absolutely. And there is the risk public health assessment there for underlying issues for children with additional needs. And obviously, for me, as Minister for Special Education, the budget was something where I wanted to make sure that I had the resources that were available there for children with additional needs. So, like, we've 1,165 uh, new SNAs, we've 980 new special education teachers. We're putting over 2.2 billion, over 25% of the entire education budget into special education. But and we're going we're to be opening. This surge, uh, you know, when we're hearing about. Um, schools and the, and the lack of uh, information being given to close contacts and all of that. Well, so, I don't, I don't, do you I, think they ought to be protected more? Well, you see, we've put 600, the government has put 600 million already into infection uh, control measures into schools, you know. And, so proper and, ventilation and, and, in every, cla and every all, single and, classroom and of, in the and, country? And, and has said that, you know, just because of Delta, we don't need to change the, the infection uh, uh, control and measures that are already put in place. There are public health teams there, um, there, there, there are a lot of supports um, available to schools on an ongoing basis. Richard? Look, first of all, hundreds and hundreds of our schools are in a chronic state, right, of temporary, uh, you know, uh, And there's a 4.4 billion capital budget, as yeah, you know, there is a huge, the huge plan. problem with the quality of our, our classrooms to start with. The second point to make is that our public health teams, which will be critical in responding to outbreaks in schools, are one third of the staffing levels uh, recommended long before COVID even came along. So the, our ability to respond at a local level to outbreaks in schools, to but, give people the advice they need, to have the proper approach to contact plans, tracing. Richard, in every school. We are dealing with the consequences of chronic understaffing and under-resourcing of our public health teams at a local level. And then there's the issue of CO2 monitors. There should be monitors in every classroom. The, the government isn't even intending to do that. And there's also the question of filters, which can actually fill out uh, infection in the air. I, I, I think ventilation is critically important and it is one of the measures that is already in place. Um, but each school has its own bespoke COVID-19 response plan that it adheres to. Um, and, it, and it has special you know, uh, school teams that help in terms if there's a COVID case uh, or, or in terms of any outbreak. Okay. Um, you know, but it's really important and it's important from my perspective when you're talking about the 124 special schools or children with additional needs in special classes or in mainstream classes. Um, it's really important that we look after them. Yeah, um, and, and everyone would agree with that. Mm. Let's look at what's happening in workplaces. Uh, the government seems to have pulled back on that return to the workplace. We know that uh, NEFED has said, if you can work from home, do. We were all supposed to gradually return to the workplace on September 20th. That's been stalled now, hasn't it? What sort of impact do you think that's going to have, Mark? It's going to have a real impact on, on towns and city centres. Um, what, what Leo Varadkar essentially said today was that, look, people won't be fully back to the office until you know, February or March at least. It'll be next spring at least before people are back into the office. Um, and it, it sort of dovetails in with the issue of antigen testing because one of the most unfortunate things about us not using antigen testing is that um, there's no culture of us um, antigen testing ourselves. I mean, in the UK, you can get them free in the post. Um, you know, people could antigen test themselves before they head out for Should work. Should companies that, be doing in, it? In, 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 Companies and I think that's recommended. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 yeah and, and perhaps companies should be providing them now as well. Um, but it, it could have been used as a tool for people to, to, to almost to, to um, 
um, to ease themselves that it was okay to go into work in the mornings. Um, so it's going to be a few months, um, um, probably three, four, five months before people are fully back in the offices. And in the meantime, there's going to be less football on the, footfall on the streets of uh, towns and, and cities, and that's going to have an impact on retail, it's going to have an impact on hospitality, and it's going to make renewing urban centres much more difficult, and it's going to take much longer. And, you know, some businesses have been shut um, um, for, for, you know, most of the last 585 days. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to reawaken businesses like that again. Um, to, drive, to, to get those businesses back and, and, and booming again, they need to drive people back into city centres. These are the businesses you would describe as zombie businesses businesses right now, they're, they're, they're kept going, but mm. the, the future is very uncertain for them, isn't it? There is. I mean, you say zombie businesses. There are a lot of businesses out there, SMEs in particular sectors, retail and hospitality. We don't really know if those businesses are viable or not at the moment. And we won't know until um, the financial supports are whipped away. Um, because those financial supports at the moment are like paracetamols. They're keeping the pain out of the economy. And, and they're being extended until, until April next mm -hmm. year. But when they're taken away, a lot of businesses are going to go bust. Do you think those well, supports should be extended for a longer period of time than into next spring, given that we are seeing these restrictions, um, although loosened, in place until at least February of next year. Yes, yeah, so where, where, where it's about maintaining the relationship between empl employees and, and their work. Uh, and I think absolutely they should. And I don't think, by the way, people should be compelled to go back to work if they don't feel it's safe. And I think it's very important we engage with uh, unions, with representatives of employees and workers, yeah. so that they are happy that the conditions that they're going back into are ones where they feel safe, that all the precautions that are being put in place in order to make them safe, I think that's vital. Yeah. But absolutely, support should be maintained so that people are not compelled to do things that they don't the, feel would be the, safe. Yeah, the, the Labour Employer Economic Forum is actually going to be held in terms of engaging with unions um, I, th I think that's really critical in terms of a new work protocol as well. And, you know, an, an emphasis advised a cautious phased approach back to employment. Um, and, you know, we do have the business supports there. They do need to be extended till April. They will be extended to April. Um, and I think the Tonish as Minister for Business is doing everything he yeah. can to support SMEs. But it is difficult and COVID is the monster here. Yeah. And that's the difficulty. Briefly, briefly before we go on this, Nefert has said that, you know, we may have to reimpose restrictions. That was something that Taoiseach very clearly said when we reopen on October 22nd, we don't want to see sectors shut down again. The Thornish, they even said it today that, you know, the reason we have the majority of our people vaccinated now, that's why we're, we're not shutting down. Yeah. But yet but there's no guarantee around that, is there? No, I don't think there's any guarantees with COVID. There never has been, really. Um, and a, lo a lot of the time, uh, particularly in government, you're making decisions on, on a daily basis uh, in relation to the involvement or the evolving uh, and the rolling out of different, um, you know, parts of, of your own sector. Um, but I think we need to get people to double down to, to not to forget the basic things like washing your hands and wearing your mask and all those things, which I know ad nauseum we're sick of listening to, but it's really, really critical that we do that, particularly coming into the winter. OK, we'll have to leave it there. My thanks to Richard. Boy Barrett, Josefa Madigan and Mark Paul. And coming up after the break, uh, capacity restrictions at weddings are lifted. But what pitfalls remain? Stay with us.
Welcome back. Now, there was cause for celebration for the wedding industry today with the news that religious services and weddings will now be allowed to proceed without any limits on capacity. But should couples still be wary as they plan their big day or will it all be a bed of roses? Well, joining me to discuss is consumer journalist Sinead Ryan. And Sinead, it was the news brides and grooms were waiting for if they haven't already decided to have a very pared down wedding and they want to get the numbers in, they now can. They can. You think. We think, yeah. Do we? Are we no, sure? Well, this is Do what we we've been told, that, the, the, that the, cap, the cap has been removed. It has. So the big country weddings, 300 people, uh, no problem at all. Uh, you still can't go up to the bar in your local pub to order a drink, uh, but you can definitely go to that. So, um, look, it is great news for weddings and for couples because they've been, like, you know, you know and everybody out there knows what it takes to pull together a wedding. It's not a, something you can start on Wednesday and go on Friday. There's so many suppliers and so many elements that have to come in together. Uh, so for any couples out there who've already kind of put it off from 2020, put it off from 2021, and then they're going to have all the 2022 couples who'd already booked in. So it's going to be a bit of a scramble now to get venues and dates and all that. But yes, they can go ahead. So it'll be great news for some. Now, venues still have to adhere to COVID guidelines, though, don't they? They do. So uh, because this is an indoor uh, seated venue with a meal, it, it's like a restaurant, really. So um, digital COVID certs have to be supplied. Now, that'll help call your list by 10%, perhaps. It's tricky, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? It will be difficult. Well, like, couples will have to go through the list. And, they will. You know, if there's an uncle that's not vaccinated, he's tough, not coming in. Tough. And that's their choice because the people who aren't vaccinated at this stage, the vast, vast majority of them are not vaccinated by choice. So there are consequences to the choice they've made. And one of them is they can't go to family weddings. Um, so the people that are there, though, will know that they are safe with all of the other people uh, that are there. Now, of course, doesn't mean they can't get COVID, but we know that the vaccination means that you are vastly less likely to end up in hospital as a result of it. Uh, the meal will be seated. Um, there will be dancing of a sort perhaps <laughs> which we can have you have a dj uh, not so much the live band i understand so um it's still a little bit of tweaking to be done actually claire i think over the coming days we are going to see some firming up of the rules it's just so chaotic at the moment it's really even for the venue owners even for the hospitality industry and they're the experts at this i'm not sure they're too mm. clear at what's going on yeah because that point you made about if there's a dj you can dance but if it's a live band it must be seated this has I, been yeah, the issue it's, it's hasn't it and that, hard to that kind of square inconsistent that that's there that if you if you're if you're playing a gig everyone needs to be sitting down yeah. but if if it's in a nightclub or or a wedding mm. situation with the dj it's fine to dance and also if you're in a restaurant um there can only be 10 at a table but if you're in a wedding ballroom 300 do you know so so there is a little inconsistency there and i'm not sure there is a whole heap of science behind it but it is as the Thish, as the Thonisha said earlier trying to marry that middle ground between opening up completely and locking down completely and of course it is going to look anomalous in certain ways okay well we can uh, join wedding planner tara fay she joins us on the line now uh, tara welcome to the show your thoughts on this announcement today there must be a lot of relief uh, among brides and grooms around this decision you know, to lift the numbers and get things back to that normality that we're all looking for there was huge relief i think just um with people because if you think about it we're we're 72 hours away when that announcement was made from some people's weddings at this point people will have not only confirmed guest list confirmed table plans but they have already paid for all of those guests ahead of time so it was it was very very nervous time for them um 
Yeah, so they are delighted. Yeah, and you're saying 72 hours away. Do, are there couples you know of who are getting married this weekend and had planned for all the restrictions to be lifted with those plans then thrown into doubt by this surge in numbers, leaving them really uncertain as to what was going to happen? Yeah, I mean, there were people who are getting married Friday, Saturday, Sunday, who have been contacting me over the last few days. And they were just really, really nervous because most of them would have um, confirmed all of their guest numbers last week and already paid in advance for all of those guests. And if, let's think about some of the suppliers as well. So even like our hotels, our venues, um, florists would have ordered in um, flowers ahead of time for all of those weddings and they would have been left mm. out of pocket as well. Now, I know some people will say, you know, that's not important in the grand scheme of things, but a wedding is not like a weekend away. It's not like a, just a hotel reservation or a dinner reservation. It's not something that you cancel at the last minute. These are plans that have been in place for months and in some cases years. And one of the big issues that you had earlier in the summer was you were saying couples just can't plan ahead. They just want to be able to plan ahead and know what number they can have at their wedding come, you know, August, October, whenever it is. Do you think couples have been given that certainty tonight? Would you be sure now if you were looking ahead to next February, March, that you could say, yeah, look, you can have whoever you want at your wedding. It's no problem. I mean, I would love to say that, yes, we would always love to plan ahead. But I think COVID has um, has thrown us so many curveballs that I would always be vaguely cautious in terms of final numbers. Um, I think one of the, the great things from today as well is not just the, um, the increase in numbers, but also the increase of people that can sit per table, because six per table was proving very, very restrictive for a lot of couples for their weddings. OK, well, let's another aspect, of course, to weddings is the big honeymoon mm. and plans that couples may have to go uh, further afield than the staycation. Uh, what, what's the situation now, booking flights and going away, maybe beyond Europe, if they wanted that big special yeah. trip of a lifetime? Well, after the well big day? as somebody, Claire, who not only had to cancel two honeymoons, but eventually went away eight months late <laughs> myself, I've had a first hand experience of all of this. I got there. Uh, however, um, destinations in Europe are fine. There are absolutely no problems at all. I mean, obviously, everywhere is local restrictions similar to ours, and that's fine. Um, so there's no problem getting on flights, there's no problem booking accommodation, and there's no problem being insured to go to any European uh, destination. The problem is slightly trickier when you're further afield, uh, particularly not in a first world country. So uh, although the US borders now are beginning to open up uh, and we will see travel there, and for the most part, that'll be absolutely fine. If you wanted to go to Vietnam or South Africa or China, uh, you are going to have insurers maybe just having a difficulty with that uh, because their vaccination programmes may not be up to where we are. Uh, so I would just say to people, if you are planning a trip away, like don't go without insurance because that's really not clever at the moment. And do check with your insurance company that they will specifically cover COVID-related events uh, because you want to make sure if you got COVID or somebody close to you did and that you that you could get home, that you would be, if you were hospitalised, that, that you would be uh, looked after. Um, and just a quick one as well, just referring back to the weddings. You mentioned insurance there. Wedding insurance, do a lot of couples have it and will it protect you in the case of 
COVID and having to cut those numbers or cancel something? Uh, you can get it and lots of couples do have it. Now it's quite limited. So in most cases, the sums assured would be not upwards of 5,000 euros, maybe 6,000 euros. Now the average wedding in Ireland is 25,000 euros. So you're not going to get covered for the whole lot, uh, but you will get it for loss of suppliers, things that don't happen the way they should. Uh, now, whether it's covered for COVID will depend on the insurer. And, and it's really important that you ask that. Uh, we've seen a lot of insurance companies during COVID, they weren't being paid out on stuff. I would always check and double check. Okay, Sinead, thank you as always for that. And that is it from us. My thanks to Tara Faye, who joined us via Skype tonight and all of our guests, of course. Our programme is available as a podcast. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. But from all the late team here, good night. Take care. a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.